Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Well, welcome Facebook and internet, social media. Uh, we're going to get, dive into the Word of God and we're going to dive into, um, we're going to be speaking about worship this whole month. Praise, worship, um, what it really is. Um, because what we just did there was a, an expression of worship, not the expression of worship. So worship is not just singing a song and playing an instrument and singing to God. That's, that's a, a expression of our worship, but there's many ways. I, I believe worship actually is a, a life of obedience. That's really what worship is, a life of obedience to God. And that means all the time, every day, when we're at home, when no one's watching, uh, uh, to, to worship God would mean to walk in obedience to Him. That's the best definition you'll probably find from the Bible. Um, if you turn to Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, the first mention of the word worship is when Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his one and only son, his beloved son, which is Isaac. It, it, like he, he had a promise from the father 25 years before Isaac was even born. So it's, it's taken 25 years to see Isaac get born because he, he, God spoke to him at 75 and he had, the, he had Isaac at 100. And now Isaac's probably anywhere between 15, 16, 17, maybe, that, maybe a young man. Like, it's, it's a long time to have a promise from God to have a child. And now God's saying to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son up on the mountain. That's pretty radical. Even, even the, the thought of God saying that. Now, again, your, your mind and my mind are, is racing. Why would God do that? Why would God ask to sacrifice, sacrifice your son to me? Sometimes God asks us to do something we don't understand. We don't understand the, the depth of it. We don't understand why is he really saying that. I, I think there's some, some powerful reasons why God asked him to do that. And we're going to look at it in a little bit. But if you read verse 5 of Genesis 22, and Abraham said to his young men, there was people with him that he was traveling with, he said, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder up in the mountain and worship and we will come back to you. Now he, he referred to the act of sacrificing his son as worship. He, didn't, he wasn't, didn't have a guitar with him. He didn't have a band with him and he didn't, have, he didn't go up to the mountain to sing. He actually is just going to sacrifice his son, but he calls it worship. So I think the first thing that we need to really, really um, break in our mindsets is whenever someone refers to the word worship, we just think of music and singing. Let's really understand what it really is. Worship is an act of obedience, a lifestyle of obedience. And, and the first mention of worship in the Bible is when Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son that he loves dearly. And as they're walking up, it must have taken them a while. I mean, it took them a while to get to that place. Now they're at the mountain, and it took them a while to walk up. And as they're walking up, his son tender son, loving son, and says, Dad, I see, you know, the wood. I see the knife. I see the fire. I see everything. But where's the sacrifice? Like he's starting to catch on a bit, thinking, what's happening here? Why are we going up in the mountain? We don't have a sacrifice. We don't have an animal to sacrifice. That's what he's used to. And uh, Abraham says, yes, son, um, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. I mean, I think that would have been a very tender moment for Abraham because he's, he, in faith, is trusting God. He's a Hebrews. The book of Hebrews actually says Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. 
He didn't understand exactly why is God asking me to sacrifice my son. I don't understand why he's asking me, but God asked me to. So I'm willing. In his heart, I'm willing to obey God at all costs. That's a life of worship. It's going to cost him something. He loves his son dearly. The thought of taking your son. And I I believe Isaac was probably strong enough to fight his son, uh, his father. More likely, at least, put up a fight. It shows nothing in the Bible that Isaac resisted. He also was trusting his father. And and, and at one point, Abraham ties him up. Isaac allows him to tie him up. Puts him on the wood. Ties him down and and grabs the sword. I mean, this is massive. This is, is, he's going to do it. And as he puts his sword up and he's about to strike his son dead, that's a big, it's a big thing what he's doing. He's obeying God no matter what because he thinks, but the Bible says symbolically he received, he believed that God could raise him from the dead. Like, God, this is the promised child. You said you're going to have, give me children as many as the stars of the, of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So, so you must be able to raise him from the dead. So I'm going to do this. That was Abraham's faith. It's phenomenal. He's the father of our faith. And as he puts his hand up, an angel from heaven spoke. It says from heaven, like, Abraham, no, now I know that you love God. Now I know. Let let me read it to you. When Abraham lifted his sword up, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, had to get his attention. He He didn't want his son to die. So so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Isn't that a beautiful picture that when you walk in obedience, even though you don't have a clue that God is bringing the ram on the other side of the mountain. You might not see his answered prayer. You might not see that God's, God's got this. God's working it out. God's got the answer. He is actually providing the sacrifice, but he had to just obey. And as he, I, I believe something took place so spiritual. It goes way beyond. Like, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son? Why would, and why is it that God never ever tested anyone else ever again at that level? He's never asked anybody else to ever sacrifice their son like he did Abraham. I personally believe, this is my thoughts, and when we get to heaven, you can check if it's right. <laughs> but I believe that when God created Adam and Eve, he made us his image and his likeness. He gave us, he gave us the authority. So God gave the authority to mankind. Mankind's got authority. Now God hasn't got the authority. We've got the authority. We pushed God out by committing high treason and gave our authority to the devil. God can't break his word. He's on the outside. He needs a man to let him back in. He needs someone to trust him. You have to invite God into your life. That's true of any person right now, isn't it? If you haven't got Jesus as Lord in your life, you have to accept Jesus. You have to say, yes, Lord, I want you. God doesn't um, force himself to anybody. So God's on the outside looking in, and he needs, he needs someone that has enough faith out of his love for God that he's willing to sacrifice his son out of love for God that gave God the legal access to sacrifice his one and only son for the humanity of the world, for mankind. God is looking for a, a, a legal access back in. Because once Abraham did it, it was as good as done. God says, no, I don't need it done because it's as good as done in the spirit realm. Now it gives me the access to legally sacrifice my son. And I can tell you what, Satan cannot accuse God of doing something illegal. You gave of yourself 
way beyond mankind. You, you broke your own word. You broke your authority. No, he didn't. He made sure that he found a man that was willing to sacrifice his son. And Abraham had the faith that he could be raised up again. And, and, and Abraham says, I'm going to go up there and worship. More likely, he didn't sing a song. There's nowhere in that passage of Scripture that says that he sat down with Isaac and they strummed his guitar and sang. This is worship. And when you do a study of worship, first of, first of all, let's just talk a, bit, a little bit about worship. I believe with all my heart, we are all worshipers. Every single person in this room is a worshiper. Now, you might go, no, I don't, I don't like this worship. I don't really lift my hands up. I don't sing, I don't sing along. Let me, let me go further. Every person on the planet is a worshiper. It depends on who and what you're worshiping. But you do worship. You either worship the one and only true and living God, or you worship other man-made idols, but you do worship. We all worship. Before I came to Jesus at the age of 19, I was a worshiper. I didn't sing songs. I did, did a little bit, but not, not to Jesus. But I, I worshiped money. I worshiped myself. I made my, my own self-pleasure a God. I worshiped girls. I worship, definitely worshiped money. I really thought, I, I, I would dream. See, what happens when you worship something? You think about it. Worship takes your time, your energy, your devotion, your love, your thoughts. Takes your money, takes everything. I thought about money. I dreamed about money. I used to go to work and think, what would I do if I won $10 million? And I dreamed the whole day what I'd do with $10 million. Because I worship money. There's an expression of my worship, my thoughts, my emotions, my, my dreaming, my actions, everything I did. I didn't know. I didn't have a, I didn't have a relationship with God. This message is a, is a real, it's hard to explain if I can hear my heart. It's tender because God's after your heart. God's after, God seeks worshippers. He doesn't seek worship. He wants worship. He's actually after you. So sometimes we just think that God wants worship as if God needs worship. He wants intimacy. He wants our rela relationship. That's why he wants worshippers. And if we're not worshipping the Lord God out of love, not out of, uh, because he's a tyrant and I'm better because I've got to escape hell, not of that. But out of love that he's a good God, he's a good Father, he's beautiful, he's amazing to me. And out of that expression of understanding his love, I want to love him back. This is what makes us want to give up the idols of this world. And believe me, we've all got idols. And God wants us to not worship the idols, the man-made idols, things that we put in our hearts. Please don't get offended with this message. I can't tickle your ear, you know that, eh? I'm not called to tickle your ear and make you feel good. Can you, do that? you can do that anywhere. But we need to hear the truth. And, 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 and what I know about the truth, if you don't want to hear the truth, you can get, it can hit you and you can get hurt. And if you get offended, that means you don't want to hear the truth. Please don't get offended with me or the church or people around you. If you're going to get offended, you're going to get offended with God. But please don't get offended with God. He just wants the best. If we get offended with God, we don't realize how good he is. We don't, we don't realize he wants the best for us. When you go through the scriptures and understand worship, Psalms 115, Psalms 115 verse 8 basically says that we become like who we worship. Think about that for a second. Psalms 115, let me read it to you, verse 8 says, those who make them are like them. Talking about us making our own idols. 
They have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have legs, you know, feet, but they, they can't walk. All this stuff. Basically, we make idols. I love Isaiah. Isaiah says, you make idols with the same wood you make to make a, a, an idol that you bow down to. The same wood uh, keeps you warm and cooks food over it. I mean, it pretty much says, how does that make sense? How can that be your God? It's the same wood that makes food for you and keeps you warm, and then you bow down and it's your God? So there's, a, there's, a, there's something inside of us, outside of Christ, in our flesh, that wants to automatically have an idol. An idol is something that takes the place of God. Something will take your affection. It will take you know, your, your love, your affection, your time, your thoughts, your money, everything about you. It's what you worship. I'm going to talk about something in a second. But let's read verse 8 here. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. When you worship an idol or a, a false god that we've created, we end up trusting in that idol. So if I did worship money, and if you, you, you love money more than you love God, you end up trusting money. You put your trust in it. It becomes your God. You hope that money will give you freedom. It'll give you happiness. It'll give you everything. So you spend a lot of time, energy, everything to try to get that money because you, you trust it. There's something about our hearts. We end up trusting the very thing we worship. Second Corinthians actually says, um, talks about us looking at in the mirror, we behold the glory of the Lord. When we behold the glory of the Lord, what we see of the Lord. When you really see a revelation of who the Lord is, you are transformed and changed into the image that you behold. In other words, when you behold the Lord and you look at Him, you become like Him. In the same way these people are beholding idols, they become like the idols. They can't hear, don't hear God. The idol's mute because it can't talk. It's not a living idol. It's not real, not alive. So they never hear from that idol. You following what I'm saying? Please understand the the language. let me say this, if you only praise God when you feel like it. Have you ever heard people say, I only praise God if I feel like it because I don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be a hypocrite because you only praise God only when you feel like it. I think actually hypo- hypocrisy is when we praise God only when we feel like it. Because you're praising God according to your feelings. And your feelings are God. I, I never check my feelings. God's not connected. To, it's like God is way more worthy and way more under, like worthy of my worship. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. I don't worship God according to my feelings. If I have a bad day, I've had, I've had, you know, like, I don't feel like worshiping. So I want to be true to my faith. And even though I don't feel like it, I believe this is why we worship. This is how we worship. We worship God because He's worth, worth-ship. According to your, your revelation, my revelation of God's worth-ship, that's what, why we worship, a life of obedience. But when we understand who God is, we don't even check our feelings. I mean, if I had a bad day, I mean, if you fought in the car with your wife and you came in and you upset and angry, get rid of the wrong thoughts and then worship God anyway. I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's not a hypocrite. He deserves your worship. Your feelings have never led you like perfectly all the time. I love my feelings when they get in line, but I don't follow my feelings. I love my feelings when they, oh, I, I, I start weeping, crying, and enjoying God's presence. I love that. But regardless if my feelings are there or not, He deserves my worship. And that's true of lifestyle obedience. Exodus 12, 27. I'll give you the scriptures. Write them down so you can look at them when you get home if you'd like to. It, it's, um, 
Oh, let me read it because I didn't write it down here. Exodus 12, verse 27. Well, this is talking about the Passover lamb, but we should eat the Passover lamb. Let, let's talk about it. What is the Passover lamb? They actually took a lamb, an innocent lamb without spot, without wrinkle, and every single family that was a Jewish in covenant relationship with God had to take an innocent lamb, sacrifice it, eat it, and put the blood of it on the doorpost. Remember, this lamb represented the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The angel of death, when they saw the blood, blood covenant on the doorpost, it was an act of obedience. They walked in obedience. They obeyed what God asked them to do. And they said yes to God. They did it. They acted on it. And they worshipped. The Bible says when they took the lamb and they ate it, they worshipped God. That's the scripture. They worshipped God with that. So to me, it's a, a beautiful picture and revelation of Jesus, who is the lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. When you, do, you and I have a revelation, God himself came in the flesh. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I was eternally damned to go to hell for all eternity. That's, that's what we were all going to. If I believe this Bible, I believe that with all my heart. I, my destiny was going to hell. But God's goodness, God's grace, he made a way for all of us. That's the goodness of God, that Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. Why wouldn't I worship God? Because I'm eternally grateful for that revelation. Does that make sense? I'm eternally grateful and I worship God because he is the Lamb of God. His blood is over my life and the enemy, the angel of death wants to slay us and put us to hell, but he can't touch us. So we're forever grateful. We, we worship God. So to the degree that I have a revelation of what he's done for me, it will determine the degree that I want to worship him in lifestyle, in obedience. It's connected to our understanding of what he's done for us. And God wants you to do it out of revelation. Does that make sense? He wants you to do it out of, I understand this. I'm not, I'm not doing it because everybody else is doing it. Everyone else praises and God and claps hands. I mean, everything we do is in the Bible. Do you know that? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Slam the cymbals and the, blow the trumpet. It's all in the Bible. Music, instruments in the Bible. Dance unto the Lord. It's in the Bible. There's heaps of outward expression of our worship that we do. But we don't want to just do it and we don't have a revelation inwardly. We do it because we have a revelation of what He's done for us and His goodness. In Exodus 32, verse 8, they got to a place where Moses was spending time with the Father and seeing the glory of God 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that the children of Israel fell into adultery and they had lots of gold and all that. And so they just, this is their excuse, we just got all our gold and they put it in the fire and poof, popped out a golden calf all by itself. That's what they told Moses. We know that's not true. They molded it themselves. They shaped it. They made a golden calf and said, this, think about how far you've fallen. This is the Lord God who took us out of Egypt. They wanted to see something. They wanted to let the people say, come on, this is, this is, God can't be fashioned by the hands of man. You know, God is so awesome, and this is why we worship God, because he is so awesome. You know, you know how large the earth is? The earth is so big, isn't it? You just Google how big the sun is. The sun is so large that you can put, the earth in the sun, 1,300,000 times in the sun. Think about that. The earth is so large. God created the earth. Yes, God created the sun. But the earth can go into the sun 1.3 million times. And the sun is not the biggest star that God has made. There's stars that are 100 times larger in diameter. You can put the sun in this other sun 100 times in its diameter. 
God's big. One million times, not two times, three times, four, 1.3 million times the earth could fit in the sun. Phenomenal. And that's just one galaxy that God spoke into existence. What about the universe that God spoke? And we worship the living God. That's why we should go, when we worship, we, we worship with awe. Sometimes you get distracted, sometimes the mind goes off, and you go, yeah, we worship God, we praise God. He deserves our worship. He deserves it. I don't explain it, but when we get to heaven, it's not going to be hard to worship when you see His glory. We have the privilege of doing it by faith now. In heaven, you won't do it by faith. We have the, I mean, we're still in faith, don't get me wrong, but, but, but we, we do it through faith. I think it touches the heart of God like so deeply. Exodus 34, Exodus 34 verse 24 says this. Now, this is mentioned in the Bible so many times. I just wrote a whole list. Um, actually, not this one. I'll, I'll read that one in a second. Verse 24 is, is this about the Lord. Look what it says, 24. It says, For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Never will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. Exodus 30, I must have written it down wrong. You should, this is what this is a scripture, I wrote it down. You should worship no other gods, for the Lord your God is his name is jealous, is a jealous God. The Lord's name is jealous, he's a jealous God. And that might sound strange to you. Does it sound strange to you? That God's jealous? When, when love, love demands your all. I've said this before, but if I said to my wife, honey, I want, I want you to marry me, if I, if, I, if I got on my knees and, and said, I want you to spend the rest of your life with me, would you give me your life in marriage? Uh, please marry me, da-da-da. And I'd say, oh, by the way, you can, you can sleep with anyone you want, anytime you want. Now, wouldn't that be disgusting? When someone loves someone, you expect they're all. And that's the father. He loves you so dearly, love demands you're all. It's just the way love is. Love demands, love is jealous. So when we, give, when we give our affection, our love to something else, and we make that our God, the Lord is a jealous God. It's not that, you got to understand, God's a loving God. He wants you to share your love with your wife and your children and enjoy life and enjoy sport and enjoy work and enjoy material things and enjoy money. He has no problem with that. It's only when we make that our all and our God. Does that make sense? I mean, if anything, God created joy. He's a joyous God. We should be the most joyous people on the planet because He teaches us how to live life the way God created us to. All right, this is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse, verse 19. I really want you to see that it's in the Scripture, and I'm not just telling you something that I think is good. Well, I just think this is what we should do. It's not my words. It's God's word that we follow. And chapter 4, verse 19. And take heed, this is the Lord saying, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun or the moon or the stars or the host of heaven, you feel, free, you feel driven to worship them and serve them. Remember, what you worship, you will serve. This is, this is a, one of the first mentions. God is saying, be careful when you look up to heaven, you look at the sun, your moon. You know, look how powerful the sun is. Without the sun, we're dead. 
No wonder people that didn't know any better thought, let's worship the sun as God. Because they just thought, well, without that, that planet up there, without that star, we're dead. It's given us life. It's wrong thinking. And, and, and God is saying, don't ever get tempted to worship the sun or the moon or the stars. To, don't be feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. God gave the sun. God gave the moon. God gave the stars. He made it magnificent. He made it beautiful. Don't worship that as God. God's warning them. But this is my point because there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this. What you worship, you'll end up serving. What you serve, you'll end up worshiping. They're interchangeable. That's how the scriptures read it. In Deuteronomy 8, 8 verse 19 says, And it shall be, if you, do not, if you do at all forget the Lord your God, if you forget about Him and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, it's always connected. Serve and worship. Then it says worship and serve. Serve and worship. Then it says worship and serve. I testify against you this day that you will surely perish if you do that. If you worship other gods, you'll end up serving them. And I've got like 15 different scriptures, and there's still more in the Bible, that talk about serve and worship other gods. If you do, then you, you, your land will be barren. Or if you do, uh, I'll send you to Babylon. If you do, you know, and it says, because you worshiped and served other gods, I wasn't able to bless you. Oh, if you only knew how much I wanted to set you free. God is crying out and saying, I wanted to set you free. I wanted to give you freedom. I wanted to give you the promised land. I wanted to. But you served other gods. How can God set us free if we, we don't make him number one? And so there's, I, I literally got, if you want them, I can give them to you. There's 15 scriptures that talk about worship other gods and serve them, serving other gods. And look at this in Matthew 4, verse 10. You remember the story where Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And one time Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof. In other words, everything that the, this, the kingdoms of this world can give him. He had a vision. He must have seen. I, I think he saw Rome. I think he saw Colossians and Ephesus and all the beautiful cities and, and all that that could give him. And Satan says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you the kingdoms and the glory thereof. Now, Satan could do that. It's a real temptation because Satan was given the kingdoms by Adam and Eve many, many years ago. So you can't tempt someone with something if you don't have it. He's got it because through high treason, Satan is the small god of this world. And he's saying to Jesus, if you bow down, I'll give them to you. Jesus is not stupid. Jesus responded. Look what he says. Then saith Jesus unto him, get you behind me or get out of here. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, goes to the word, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He connected it as well. You shall worship God with all your heart, him only, and serve him. What you and I end up worshiping, we end up serving. When I think about the word serving, I think of a lot of things. I think that um, we give our time to it, we give our energy to it, we give our thoughts, our, our dreams, our emotions, everything. We give our affection to it, we give our money towards it. People have the problem with the church a lot of times if about the tithe and the God asks of us the first fruits and the tithe and everything. If you worship other gods, you're giving everything to them anyway. If you worship the God of alcohol, man, it's costly if you want to be an alcoholic. Go out and, and buy some drinks. Go out and have dinner. Go out and, and make that your God. You're going to be spending lots of money. You're doing it anyway. And I can talk about every habit and every destructive habit, but we're smart enough to know, no, if you worship other things, you end up doing it anyway. You give all your money away anyway. It's just the way it is. If, you know, there's nothing wrong with sport, but if sport is your God, you'll end up 
giving your time, your energy, your sacrifice, your money, everything. Nothing wrong with sport whatsoever. But you can make it your God. You can make pleasure your God. You can make uh, your family that God blessed us with your God. You know what I'm saying? You can make friends that God wants us to have beautiful friends. That could be your God. That could be your everything. Pleasure that God has created us to enjoy life. We can actually make pleasure our God. Don't you think so? It's easy to. That every decision is around, I want to be for me. But God has called us to lay down our life so we can love one another. When I think of this temptation that Satan gave Jesus, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. This is very interesting because Jesus was going to get all the kingdoms of the world anyway. He just wasn't going to do it through Satan's way. He was going to do it through the timing of the Father. And when he did it the right way, he walked in obedience. He had the sacrifice. So the time was all wrong. You're not going to do it that way. If you sold yourself to Satan, yeah, you'd get it there and then. But, you, but he would have lost his eternity. Jesus would have lost his eternity. And all, of you, all mankind would have been damned into hell. So it, it was costly if Jesus said, yes, all right, give it to me now. Thank God he didn't. But he waited and he goes, no, I'm getting it God's way. I will get the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of the world will bow down to me. Because he went to the cross and he defeated Satan, stripped Satan of his authority. And there'll be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. All the kingdoms. All the kingdoms. He will reign here on this earth for a thousand years. And then he brings the city of God, the New Jerusalem, to the earth. That's in your Bible. He gets it. He just wanted to do it God's way. Because he understood, if I bow down now, I'll end up worshipping you. If I worship you, I'll be a slave. The word serve means to be slaving. You slave yourself to that sin. You slave yourself. Money is a good um, servant, but a terrible master. Nothing wrong with money. If you can use money, it becomes your servant. But don't bow down to it being your God. Does that make sense? Heaps and heaps of scriptures. I can go after one after another, one after another about worship and serve, serve and worship. God's just saying, if you trust me, and if you bow down to me only and worship me and obey me, I will bless you. And you won't be a slave, you'll walk in freedom. Because it's a love relationship. We're not talking about duty, or we have to. It's a relationship. It's a love relationship. The scriptures in the Bible... Deuteronomy 26, verse 10, it talks about bringing the tithe and the first fruits before the Lord as worship. Why would he call that as worship? Because worship is not just music. It's a lifestyle of obedience. It's bringing obedience to God. It's saying, God, this is an act of worship. Right now, I'm bringing my first fruits. What God has blessed me with, here we go, God, I'm worshiping you. I'm bringing it for the kingdom. That's why it's, it, it involves every part of our life. Is a first Samuel chapter one verse three. Whatever you end up worshiping, you end up sacrificing to as well, which is that part of the serving. You end up sacrificing something to who you worship. So if we, God's a good God. Yes, there are times where we lay down our life, we lay down our flesh, our desire wants, our flesh wants it now, but we go, no, we won't, we won't yield to that because I want to obey you. So we've got to die to the flesh. That's called sacrifice. Out of love, we sacrifice to God, but it's not because he doesn't want the best for you. It's our flesh. It's our fleshly desires that we're sacrificing. 
that will only lead you astray anyway. You following? It will only take you down the wrong path anyway. But when we go to God, we say, out of love, I lay down this that I wish I could get it right now. But God, I'll trust you and I'll, I'll get that your way. You know, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, this is David is praying and fasting because his son is sick. And he's at the point of dying, his son is about to die. And he's crying out to God and crying out to God, crying out to God. He finds out at one point, his servants came in and says, they were, someone had to tell the king his son just died. And he's been crying and fasting and he's on his face and weeping to God and saying, God, heal him. God, bring healing. God is doing, doing everything he could. And finally, the servants said to David, David, your son is dead. You know, we know what David did. David got up. David washed himself. David changed his clothing. Think about what he did. Changed his clothing and went to the house of God and he worshipped. I mean, do you think he feel like worshipping at that point? Just lost his son. It's a beautiful picture that we don't worship because of what we can get out of God. We worship because of his worth-ship. He deserves our worship. David just lost his son. He goes to the house of God and he worships God anyway. Regardless of how he feels right now. The pain and the loss. I think we need to get a deeper revelation of the goodness of God. Where we don't worship God because of how I want to feel. I want to feel goosebumps. I want to feel love. I want to feel... The worship was, I like the music today. I like the songs. Oh, they're great songs. And it's all about us. It's not about us. Worship's never been about you. It's all about Him. When, you know, many years ago, I was 22 years old. Um, what are you laughing at? What are you laughing at? Not that many years, just many years ago. Not many, 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 just many. And um, we got a phone call. My mum was frantic on the phone. And she couldn't open the door. Dad was in the bathroom and he wasn't responding. So I got the phone call and mum was freaking out, like scared and fearful. And she had assumed he died on the phone. And so I remember dropping the phone and I ran out of my, out of the Heavenly Taste Pizzeria restaurant that my brother had, ran out to go to the car to, run, to get home and I didn't bring the keys. And I thought, oh, what am I doing? Because I, re I reacted in fear. So I walked back. Made myself walk, grabbed the keys, made myself walk and drive slowly and carefully. Thought, if I'm going to be in control of this, I've got to not be in fear. So we had to get through the, 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 the bathroom door was locked. We went, climbed on the fence, opened up the window and went in. And as soon as I saw my dad in between the toilet and the wall, he fell over that way. He was purple already. So he'd already gone. And so I picked him up and tried to put him over. And I tried to give him mouth to mouth. And it wasn't working. His stomach was getting bigger, just blowing out. I wasn't letting the air go back out. I wasn't doing it correctly. And, and I thought, man, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm trying to bring him back, and I don't know what to do here. So I just thought, I know how to pray. And I thought, I'm going to go in my room, in the bedroom, right next to the bathroom. They called the ambulance by then, and, we went, and I started to pray. And I started to say, God, you're a good God. So God doesn't change. The Bible says, worship the Lord in all things. Not forth all things, in all things. So God didn't change. God's a good God. God didn't take my dad. 
The devil took my dad. The devil is the killer. Still, he's the one that kills, still, and destroy. So I haven't, I haven't got a, a, a messed up theology thinking, oh, why God did you not take my dad? I know it wasn't God. So I could go in there and worship God. I said, God, you're a good God. And I started to worship, praise. Mom came in. She started to praise. Tony came in. We're worshiping God in the bedroom. It looks weird in the natural. That's weird. In the natural, how does that look like? Because we're saying, Lord, we love you. You're a good God. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we love you. We worship. We start to praise like that. And uh, the ambulance people came in. Obviously, my mind started thinking, what are they going to think? Because we're praising God. We're praising God to get our, place, our hearts in a place of faith where we could raise him from the dead. I already tried to raise him from the dead. I spoke to the spirit of death. I commanded. It didn't work. And now I'm, I'm praising God, worshiping God, because you know what? The Bible says, in all things. And it's... What I'm trying to get across is it's, we don't worship God for us. We don't worship God because, according to my feelings. We worship because of His worship. If you knew and if I knew how good God is, how wonderful He is, He's full of love and joy. He's full of, He just wants the best for you. He, he would pour out, He did pour out everything for you. There's nothing else that God could do to bless you more than He already has blessed you. There's nothing more that God can do. And He's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. God can do nothing else more than, than the, the way He's already poured out His love and given Himself to you by dying on the cross. That's how I, I'm trying to share how, why I worship God. He's a good God. He's a loving God. And I, I know He wants the best for me. If He wants me free from sin, it's not because... He doesn't want me to be happy or I, I don't want you to enjoy life. No, He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be free. And freedom comes from truly worshipping God. Really from our hearts. Does that make sense? So if I ask myself the question, Lord, what do you want to do? I think He wants, he wants to, by His sword of His Spirit, which is His Word, He wants to just cut out any idols that we trust in. Sometimes in our low periods, we go to the idols. Or, you know, and God understands that your mind needs to be renewed. My mind needs to be renewed. And, he, and as we grow, our mind gets renewed. We won't go there anymore. So if you still think, but Leah, I still fall into that. And I fall into idols and I worship the wrong stuff. And I, I go after the wrong things. Run to God. He's a good God. He's a heavenly Father. He's running to you. So run to God. Don't run away from God when you sin. Run to God. So important. You've got to understand a revelation of His goodness. Run to God. So if you mess up, you want to be guilt, shame. I want to, oh, I want to run. God must be angry with me. Run to Him. Say to yourself, this must mean I really need you. So I'm running to you, God. Does that make sense? The Bible says, magnify the Lord with me. Or magnify the Lord together. I mean, why would, how could you magnify God who is already, I mean, how big is God? just told you what he created the sun God is so large the Bible says the earth is his footstool I think that doesn't even depict how great and large he is in heaven the reason why he's on his throne I, I just believe God just he must he must God's God you know God sits on his throne but he must make himself uh, how to explain it without uh, you misunderstanding God's so large but he makes himself known by sitting on his throne. We're talking about billions and billions and billions and billions of saints in heaven that are worshiping him. That, that throne is magnificently large. 
And I picture, I, I try to remind myself, God, if you spoke the earth, the universe into existence and you spoke the sun, it's a ball, a planet that 1.3 million times larger than the earth, and you spoke that out, imagine the universe, imagine you then. How magnificent are you? So God, let me see you, how magnificent. The Bible says when Ezekiel saw God, he was full of fire from his loins up and his loins down. He's full of light, splendor, rainbows belong to God. The rainbows of all colors emanating out of God the Father. This is who we worship. He's worthy of our worship. And it says magnify. We're not thinking about the word magnify. How do I magnify God? Obviously, my worship's not making him any larger than he is. But as a magnifying glass, remember when you were a kid, you used to put it on insects and bugs? What are you doing? The sunlight's already there. Some of you didn't do that. You just did paper. You were really nice. But, but the sun rays are here. The magnifying glass takes what's already there and concentrates it and makes it focus. So that's what we do when we magnify. God's presence is already here. When you walked in the room, you walked with God. You walked in with God. But then the Bible says when two or more people agree on earth, there I am. That's, does that mean you didn't have God? No, you already had God. It's a deeper intensity, a deeper degree of His manifest presence. But the Bible also says that He inhabits the praises of His people. So when we all start to praise, does that mean He wasn't there before? No, He was there. Now He's coming in greater intensity. Magnifying glass. And so when we magnify God, and, then, and I love the power of unity. Unity is powerful. But when we magnify God, it's not that we're making God any bigger than He already is. In our awareness, we're making Him bigger. In our perspective, the way we see God, Amen. So God doesn't want us to worship here in our expression of worship any greater. That is the expression of our lifestyle of worship. That's why I'm trying to speak about this. And I don't expect God going to do it in one day. There's a lifestyle and a relationship to go after God. Does that make sense? We've got a, a mind. Some of us have been unrenewed for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. We've got to take this mind and renew it with truth where we bring our mind, our body, our spirit in line with God's Word. And it's going to take some time. But understand, He's a gracious God. He's a good God. Run to God. But now, let's, can, we make, can we make some decisions in our hearts? Just start, I do, every day. I'm leading you to today. So, does, you know, when, when Leon prays for us, oh, you know, man of God, I want you to know we're all men of God and women of God. Every one of us are. God sees us all through the light of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.